The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Hello, Joe. Good to see you. It's good to be back. It's cracking. Nice seeing you. What's it been like? Retiring from being a congresswoman for a, a wee bit. Yeah. I always, it feels so weird hearing that word. Retire. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a dirty word. I don't know what that means. I don't believe in retirement. Yeah, I, th- I believe in quitting. Yeah, I suppose, uh, or or moving on rather. Yeah. Moving on. I, that's where I I never. I've never seen politics as a quote unquote career. Some people are like, oh, how's it like retiring from Congress? Like, I, I don't, I can't relate right. to that. I'm just continuing the work, but in a different way. Well, the way you did it, though, is what most people should do. Like, when people are running for office and then they're also in a job, yeah. like, you're not doing a good job at that job. There's no way you can be. Yeah. Like, running for office, just campaign financing, just r- raising the money for the campaign has to be crazy. It the is. amount of time, there's no way that you could be dedicating 100% of your time to your constituents like you should be. Yeah, yeah. It has to be, it has to be your full-time mission. And, uh, you know, people who come and ask me, they're like, oh, I'm thinking of running for office. And that's literally what I tell them. I'm like, are you ready to quit everything else in your life and have the support of your family? And dedicate all your energy towards this mission of service because it will require that. If you're serious about it, it will require that. If you want to do it at your best. Absolutely. Yeah. And and if you and if you want to be truly sincere when you're knocking on people's doors, you're standing in a town hall meeting and you're saying, Hey, essentially, give me your trust. Right. That I will fight for you, I will speak for you, I will represent you every single day. How are you going to do that if you're like, yeah, by the way, I got this side gig or that side gig or this, you know, other loyalty that yeah. is something other than you, you know, the people, the voter. And um, I don't know. I, I think I think more and more people are starting to pick up on that and question that uh, in in both people who are running for office and they're elected. Like, who, who are you really working for? Well, they certainly should. It's a it's a complicated union. Yeah, it you know? is. It is that. <laughs> it really is. The, the, between money and politics. And it's just like it's it's I mean, it would be wonderful if we could get money entirely out of politics. If the only way that a politician could make money while they're in office is just their salary. Yeah. If we said it that way. Yeah. Like, I'm sure you're aware of the Nancy Pelosi stuff. Oh, like, absolutely. Oh, it's wild it is and 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 look this is i think this is one of the good things about social media is of course the the mainstream corporate media is hardly covering it at all but because of social media things like that are spreading like wildfire like hey paul pelosi is doing these trades within this period of time of nancy pelosi voting on this bill or bringing a bill to the floor because we've got to remember Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House, nothing happens without her knowing about it or giving her stamp of approval. So regardless of whether it's happening in the Judiciary Committee or the Commerce Committee or the Armed Services Committee, if there's a bill coming to the floor and there's major legislation that's being passed or is being squashed, that is happening with her say-so. And so so just in this, these last few days, you know, they once people started making noise saying, hey, you as a member of Congress or your spouse or your adult child should not be allowed to conduct insider trading right. on issues that Congress is dealing with, which which really covers every issue under the spectrum. 
they can't pretend anymore that they haven't been doing it. And yet, even as Nancy Pelosi is like, okay, okay, fine, we'll draft legislation. But Congress is about to take a break as they head into the general elections. And once again, she's refusing to bring the bill to the floor for a vote, saying, oh, well, you know, we're not going to bring it to the floor if it doesn't have support. Put people on the freaking spot. Make them cast that vote. That is the last thing she wants. Right before they lose that honey pot. She doesn't. First of all, she doesn't want it becoming a big, important thing that people are talking about. Yeah. Where people start. Excuse me. Where people start looking at it and say, oh, well, how much money have you made? Yeah. Like, why are you worth $200 million? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. You make $200,000 a year. You're worth $200 million. Like, what's going on? What? And you look at, like, Paul Pelosi's stock, like, what his uh, his record is. He's better than Warren Buffett yeah. and George Soros, who are like wizards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those guys are the best. And yep. He's better than them. Yep. But it's it's one hundred percent insider trading. You yeah. think about what they put Martha Stewart away in jail for. Mm-hmm. That's a nothing. Yeah. That's nothing compared to what she's doing. And and she's not the only one. Obviously, no. there are. And this is where you know the 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 quote unquote uniparty in Washington has been blocking this kind of legislation from being passed. Uh, because they're they're both benefiting from it. We had, yeah. uh, I think, there were Republican and Democrat senators in the lead up towards COVID, who knew about it, right, and started making different investments in as we were approaching it, even before the rest of the country knew about it, so that they could profit financially from it. Just absolutely disgusting. It's crazy. It's just it's just crazy that it's legal. Yeah. It's it's. It's really egregious, and 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 it's it's shocking how complicit the mainstream media is in ignoring it. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that there's some discussion, or is it just an understanding that you'll lose access to these people if you highlight this? Like, what is? Why are they not covering that? It's it's like this this chummy insiders club. In Washington, and you know, a common term that's being used now is is called permanent Washington, which really fits when you think mm. about it because it kind of encapsulates that whole swampy ecosystem of both those who've been elected into positions, those who are longtime appointed or powerful bureaucrats, and the corporate media. They all go out to the same parties, the same social functions, you know, passing information to each other, um, and so. You know, if the anchor of a big time news show says, hey, guys, guess what? Nancy Pelosi and her husband are are insider trading. Then they have to think about, oh, well, am I cut? Am I burning a bridge? Am I cutting off access to, Mm. you know, information that she or her staff might be feeding me that I can break news on and all this stuff. So, you know, it's like you, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And if you start pissing off certain people, then you get kicked out of the cool kids club. Mm. That's that's really what's at what's at uh, at the heart of it. And so they they play along because this this is this issue's come up before. It came up years ago. Congress said, "Okay, we're going to take action to stop insider trading and make sure that elected leaders aren't benefiting off of insider information." And so they passed the Stock Act, which did nothing essentially. It just said, "Okay, if you are going to." Um, you know, trade in stocks or buy or sell stocks, uh, you have to report it. You have to be transparent about it. Most of Congress has failed to do even that. So it did nothing to stop it. it says you just got to tell us 
And most people are like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to tell you anyway. And there's no repercussions? And there's no re- for- well, they might get like a $100 fine, $200 Ooh. fine. Ooh. As as they make millions in their in their trade, so you know again, it's good. It's this is this is kind of like one of those things that should give us all a glimmer of hope, where if enough people, we the people, make noise about it, um, they're forced to pay attention. So now, what what about when we were talking about like chumminess and like sort of like the hidden rules? What about if you do right wing talk shows? Like if you're a Democrat yeah. and you decide to go on Tucker Carlson, for instance, like what is that like? Um, it it ranges from people kind of like giving you a cynical look, like whose side are you really on, to uh, people just outright um, ending ending that friendship or that professional relationship because they don't want to have anything to do with you. Have uh, you experienced that over and over? Really, over and over. Um, and, and it's not just Tucker Carlson. There's been this negative stigma for almost as long as I've served in Congress against uh, anyone who actually goes on Fox News, period. And so you could say, like, and I do, I was like, hey, more people watch Fox News than any other cable news channel. So my audience is speaking to the American people. If I have the opportunity to do that, and by the way, Fox News, more than CNN and MSNBC over the last decade, has... Uh, been more fair to me in providing me that opportunity to speak to the American people, I'm going to take advantage of it. Well, it seems like one of the things that Fox News does well is if they have a Democrat on, they don't attack them. They allow them to express themselves. That's right. Which is interesting. Whether the host agrees or disagrees, that's not the point. Because when a right-wing person seems to be, if they're on MSNBC or if they're on CNN, it's like, they have these weapons ready to go, the mm-hmm. blades are sharp, and they attack. And they're trying to discredit that person, yes. trying to mock them. They will talk over them, they will be rude to them, they will mock whatever position they have, and instead of like trying to offer some sort of a reasonable debate against it, they will just they will talk over it yeah. and, and mock it. And they'll bring on an extra another expert and that person talks over it. Yeah. It's just it's it's not even limited to those who bring like a so-called right-wing perspective or conservative perspective. It's really anyone who brings a voice, a view, a perspective that uh, is different from whatever the mainstream narrative is at that point, whatever the cause of the day uh, may be. And so um, as a Democrat serving in Congress, I experienced that over and over and over again. Uh, Exactly that reaction that you're talking about uh, in you know not allowing me at least just to come and present my view mm. they can they can ask me a tough question they can present an opposing view that's great but so many times I've gone on these different shows and uh, they do, they don't they don't even allow that and you know the, it, it really just speaks to what what is really a dangerous mentality amongst the Democratic Party leadership and kind of this, this um, uh, establishment narrative in in Washington, which is uh, they don't believe in freedom. They don't believe in freedom of speech or freedom of thought. And for anyone who brings an opposing view, they they choose to shut you up, silence you, smear you, try to ruin you or undermine your character and credibility um, because, you know, they, they don't want the weakness or the insecurity of their own argument to be exposed. And also they immediately judge you as someone who may bring an opposing view, regardless of your political party, um, as, as the enemy, 
as a threat, as somebody who who is is less than and doesn't deserve a voice, which is really, really dangerous for our democracy when you really think about it. Yeah, it's it's very spooky. And it's spooky how prevalent that that mindset is and how many Democrats, not even just politicians, just people that are Democrats, how many people share that position that you should silence people that you don't agree with. And it's yeah. just it's such a foolish perspective. And it's plays out historically over and over and over again in a terrible way. And I just don't understand why people don't learn that lesson. I think that I think that the Democratic Party leaders, people like Hillary Clinton, uh, people who've been in charge for a very long time, um, foment this kind of culture of fear and like, hey, if you go against us, like you're dead. You're on the shit list. Uh, you have kind of the the very loud activists and the who don't represent, I think, even the majority of the Democratic Party, but the the AOCs of the world, um, who 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 are almost like these these uh, radical religious zealots, mm. and they are ideologues, and whatever they choose is the battle of the day. Yes, if you are against them on that, forget it. You're done. What is that woman's name? Rashida. To leap. Yeah, I, I'm sure you watched this, where she was communicating with the the heads of these banks, and uh, she was asking I them about. I saw that. You, you should see this. See if you can find this, where she's talking to these uh, the heads of these banks, where they're talking about funding um, uh, fossil fuel projects in the future, and she she asked them point blank, "Will you fund fossil fuel projects in the future?" And they said yes, and if we didn't, that would be devastating to the United States. And then she goes on. Uh, we'll play it for you okay. because it's Jamie will find it. It's so bonkers because the first thing she goes to is we gave student debt forgiveness and those people have bank accounts and they we're going to urge them to take their money out of your bank account. So it's like we bribe these people by giving them. 10 grand. Right. If you really want to help them, make it so that you can get out of student debt. You really you really want to help them? Make it so that make it so that a bankruptcy actually absolves you of exactly. student debt because it doesn't mm -hmm. because it's a corrupt system. Mm -hmm. So like fuck all this your 10 grand cuz 10 grand's nonsense. Yep. These people are 150, 200,000 dollars in the hole yep. and some of them actually wind up getting their social security docked when they're in their 60s. Yeah. Because they still owe money from student loans that didn't help them at all. Exactly. And she uses that. She holds it over their head. Meanwhile, she does not understand the incredibly complex variables that are involved in the elimination of fossil fuels or how many fossil fuels are involved in every single thing you do, including electric cars, yeah. the construction of solar panels, like everything, the transportation of goods and services. This idea that you're just going to stop yeah. all future projects yeah. because you think that that's what your ideological group wants. Right. Play it. I think this is it. Let me see it. Uh, Let me see your face. Yes, that's it. This is it. So. You have all committed, as you all is. know, uh, to transition the emissions from lending and investment activities to align with pathways to net zero in 2050. Do you know uh, what the International Energy Energy um, Agency has said is required to meet our goal, global 2050 net 
sterile targets of limiting global temperature rise to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 1.5 degrees Celsius. So no Celsius. new fossil fuel production <laughs> starting today. That's, what a so wizard. That's like zero. So I would like to ask all of you and go down the list because again, you all have agreed to doing this. Please answer with a simple yes or no. Does your bank have a policy against funding new oil and gas products? Mr. Diamond. Absolutely not. And that would be the road to hell for America. Yeah, that's fine. No, no, no. There's more. This is just a, this yeah. is like a Fox News clip. There's more of her. See if you can find the rest of it. You can find an actual clip of the conversation instead of this nonsense with the music over it. Because the actual clip of the conversation shows, like, she goes down the line and talks to these guys. And they all Each say one. no. Yeah. Everyone says no. Because it's... It's not reality. You can't just hit the brakes. And then just... That's what happened with COVID. You see how the economy collapsed right. when you make everyone shut their business down? That's going to happen times a thousand if you just stop all fossil fuel production. Yeah. Didn't we just see this in California where they passed a law? What yeah. is it requiring uh, requiring all electric vehicles or stopping production of, of vehicles that use gas? Yes. And all cars that are sold in California to, as of 2035 must be electrical. And then the next week they said you can't charge your electric car right. because the power grid's fucked. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> California politics in a nutshell though yeah. because it's so ideologically driven and I talk to people from California that are just in in that fog yeah the the, the fog of woke and I'll they're my friends and I'll show them yeah. that and they're like what mm -hmm. really and I go yeah look you're not supposed to charge your electric car they're like what the fuck yeah I'm like yeah what the fuck <laughs> but that right like that's that's like the um that's the analogy. That is the the example of exactly what we're talking about. This yeah. whole mentality of of wokeism, of being ideologues that that not only doesn't make sense, but if you don't agree with it, you're wrong. You're the enemy. If you're silent, right? If you just don't, hey, like I got no comment on this. Well, you are now complicit exactly. in the problem. Exactly. And silence then, is violence. Silence even. is violence. And then, and again, I have experience with all of like this whole spectrum. And then, like if you're like. Okay, like, like, get off my ass. Fine, I agree. They're like, well, prove it. Prove it. You need to stand on the street corner. You need to scream right. out loud. You need to do all this. And, you know, the Women's March when Trump got elected, right? I didn't go. I was out of the country. Uh, I got harassed and harangued. Why weren't you there wearing the pink pussy hat? What is wrong with you? You must not believe in in women's rights. You must. And and the irony is here we are sitting now with a lot of these same people who like, oh well, I don't know how to define a woman, and there is no such thing as a woman, and right. it just. But all of these examples point to the hypocrisy, the fact that they don't believe in truth. And that whatever their cause of the moment is, is whatever they decide is the truth and, and the thing that must be measured against uh, for you. Like you're either with us or you're against us. And if you're with us, you've got to prove your zealousness for for the cause. Is that and a word? I think so. I don't know. Zealousness? I think so. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it fits. <laughs> you know, it's there's a chess game and the, the ultimate checkmate is what's a woman? Yeah. I mean, when you're coming to with, with wokeness and any you can identify as a woman, you get to use the female restroom. Like, okay, but what is it? Yeah. What's a woman? You know, can a man get pregnant? Yes. Okay. Well, what is it? Can a biological male get pregnant? And then people panic and they start 
the the pe- pe- people that identify as a woman uh, are capable of being pregnant, and people that identify as a male are capable of also being pregnant. Like, what are you saying? Yeah. What's a, say? If you identify as a woman, what are you identifying as? Like, that's the documentary, the Matt Walsh documentary. Exactly. Which is fucking amazing. And also amazing that no one's reviewing it. Mm-hmm. No, no one, one's reviewing yep. it. That documentary is fantastic because Matt Walsh allow, and you can only get it on the Daily Wire, I think, which is unfortunate, but I get it. You know, I get it. The Daily Wire yeah. produced it. They want people to sign up, and they're creating this alternative platform for content. But that documentary is so good because Matt Walsh simply asks questions, yeah. and he doesn't, and he does it deadpan. Yeah, and it's amazing watching these people just like twist reality into yeah. some weird fucking <laughs> contortion. It's not. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. what are you saying? It's what so is a woman? What exactly. does it mean? Yeah, it's so revealing. You know, you're, you're marching for women's rights, but mm-hmm. what does that mean? So if I decide I'm a woman and I go out, you're marching for me? Mm-hmm. I'm a woman now. Right. You could just say it? Yeah. Like, we, we can't have that. That doesn't make sense. And it doesn't mean you can't have trans people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that. Yeah. You can most certainly- And it doesn't mean you're against- Yes. Yeah, anyone. You're not denying anyone's existence yeah. either. They, they exist. However, if you want to be pregnant, you must be a biological female. Mm -hmm. This is science. Mm -hmm. This is something that we have all studied and looked at and observed. And this is fucking doctrine. It's no getting around it. If you want to breed, if you want the egg in the womb, (laughs) you want the whole thing to happen, the uterus, the baby, that's a woman. Yeah. Just because you have a fucking beard because you're taking testosterone. You're still a woman. Yeah. Like, this is crazy. And that and that's what was so powerful about that documentary was both Matt Walsh's demeanor and, frankly, his respect with whoever yes. he was questioning and the spectrum of people that he spoke to on this. Yes. From, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors, professors, and even... Uh, the woman who transitioned hormonally who has to terrible regret become a man who yeah. is ter- like crying on camera that's this that's the problem in this country when you, you know everyone wants to talk about representation here's what's not represented at all in the mainstream media people that have had a horrible experience having gender transition surgery and regret it deeply yeah there's a lot of them mm-hmm. it's not a small amount it's a lot of people yeah. it's it's not a cut and dry thing. Look, if there was a way where we had some sort of genetic engineering, where, you know, some super advanced form of CRISPR, where uh, I could just decide I want to be a woman now, and then bam, now I have a double X chromosome, I have a vagina, I'm an actual woman, Mm -hmm. like 100%. Not surgery. And here's the other thing. It's like, if you're saying that you identify as a woman, you're a woman. Okay, why do you have to get an operation then? Right. What, why do you have to take hormones? Right. Like, why do you have to do all that stuff? And that stuff seems to be where all the problem lies because that is purely experimental, yeah. the, the, especially when it comes to children. Like, we're now finding when they're talking about hormone blockers, they were saying hormone blockers are reversible and there's no side effects. That's not true at all. They're finding horrific side effects for kids who take those things. Right. And we don't have a lot of long-term data. We just don't. Yeah. It's so dangerous that... The Biden administration's, uh, you know, health and human services secretary is openly advocating for this. 
parents and schools and the community need to support this quote unquote gender affirming care and treatment for kids, knowing what we know, even the limited knowledge of what we know about the impacts of these hormone treatments, the impacts of these irreversible surgeries, both physically as well as mentally, as more and more even of these kids who come forward who've gone through this with incredible regret and talking about the longstanding symptoms and and problems and illnesses they're now having to deal with. We have the person who's supposed to be in charge of federal health policy for the country saying, no, 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 this is exactly what we should be doing and encouraging parents and kids to go and get this this treatment. It is, it is an advocating for abuse of children. And it's something that, that more and more people need to stand up against. But the fact that we don't have more people speaking out about this speaks to this culture of fear that we're talking about. Right, and you can't even talk about it because that person is trans. Right. which is even crazier. So the person who's advocating for children to transition right. also is trans. And I'm sure you saw the Rand Paul interview where Rand Paul is questioning her yeah. and asking questions. And it's like talking to an alien. Yeah, It's like he's talking to an alien that has a tape recorder that's going to press play every time the question's over. Yeah. Thank you, Senator. You know, transgender care is a nuanced and, and like goes into this speech. And yeah. Rand Paul says, just let it be set on record that the person is not answering these questions. Exactly. Yeah. And and the the worst thing that and I don't know how well known this is, but I saw a brochure that um, that uh, the Department of, of Health and Human Services put out on what is gender affirming care. Um, it basically says that if parents refuse or fail to provide this gender affirming care, then Child Protective Services will have the authority to step in and try to intervene for the sake of the child. Wow. And so when you look wow. at what- So if a kid is just going through a period in their life where they decide I'm a girl or I'm a boy. Right. And the parents say, hey, let's wait until you turn 18. You might grow out of this. And the kid's like, fuck that. I'm calling Child Protective Services. Yeah. And then Homeland Security or whoever the hell it is comes in and physically forces the parents to do the bidding of the minor child. With the threat of taking your child away from you. How did anybody allow it to get this far? Like, who, are there no adults in the room? I mean, that's a big expression, right? It is. That was the thing that they, everyone said that we were gonna love about the Biden administration. Right. The adults are back in the room. Yeah. Really? Like, what, is everyone out of their fucking mind? Like, we know children are incredibly malleable. We know children are impulsive. They, they decide, like, there's kids, ready for this? My friend, his wife, is a school teacher. And she works at a school that had to install a litter box in the girls' room because there is a girl who's a furry oh who identifies goodness. as an animal. And her mother badgered the school until they agreed to put a litter box in one of the stalls. Yeah. So this girl goes into the litter room or to the, the girl's room and urinates or whatever. I don't know if she poops in it. That's pretty gross. <laughs> That's you know I mean? Like if you could teach your cat, by the way, here's the thing. If you could teach your cat to use the toilet, you would. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. Like you don't want a box of piss <laughs> yeah, in your house. Right. It's the worst. I've had cats my whole okay. life. It's the worst <laughs> thing about having cats. You got to clean that box of piss every day. Yeah. Like it's the greatest <laughs> thing about dogs. They go outside. Like 
You're, you're a fucking human. The cats got their humans trained. <laughs> Imagine how crazy that is. You're a fucking human being, and you prefer a litter box. You want to piss into a, a pile of sand yeah. rather than use a bathroom yeah. that you could flush the toilet, wipe yourself like a normal person. Like, you're so crazy with uh. what you think an animal is that not only have you said this, but you've conned the school yeah. into putting this fucking litter box in a girl's room. Yeah. Which is bananas. It is. It's absolutely insane. I'm sure you saw the teacher in Washington State that has the giant rubber boobs. Oh, my God. I did. And then the school is now supporting. Giant, giant is an understatement. But here's the thing about these giant boobs. <laughs> and this is a male teacher. Yes. Yes. This is a male teacher who had, they're not fake boobs. They're fake, fake boobs. This is what I mean. Like. If you knock your teeth out, like if I like uh, if I like go lift weights, I hit myself in the face with right. a kettlebell and knock my teeth out. They'll replace my teeth with fake teeth. Right. But if I have these teeth that are my real teeth and I put fake teeth over them, those are <laughs> fake fake teeth. Right. So this person, these are not fake boobs. Like they went and got an operation and had breast augmentation. No, they put giant rubber boobs. They're like watermelon over size. Their real boobs. Yeah. The, I wish I could find a watermelon that big. I love watermelon. If I could find a watermelon yeah. that big, they're so big, it's crazy. Yeah. And what now was this, the point of that, by the way? I think it's a troll. And I have been reading about this online. And apparently there's many people that are pointing to the fact that this teacher may very well oh be gosh. scamming people. Okay. What, what does it say? Whether or not it was satire? Yeah, was, I was reading. It shows where the power lies. Talking about that. Was the fake boobs teacher a hoax? Okay. Interesting. So um, what I've heard is that this is actually, this teacher is actually a conservative man. And that he's, he's doing point. this as a goof. And also knows he can never get fired. Like maybe trying to get fired. Interesting. Like, see what it, what does the article say? Does it say anything? Uh, this article brings up the same stuff that like James Lindsay did where they made those fake uh, yeah, the grievance to get pushed. Articles, through, yeah. yeah. Similar thing. He's, he's uh, there's a law... Uh, I'm trying to read and think at the same time. I can't do that. No worries. Because the teacher could probably... Yeah, so here it is. The Peter Bogosian, Helen Pluck, Pro, Pluck Rose, and James Lindsay uh, seeded peer-reviewed journals with absurd critical oh. studies papers, which was amazing, that they simply made up, caused a huge stir, but neither academia's perverse incentives nor the often ridiculous stances on critical studies have noticeably changed as a result. Academia is still publishing, apparently sincerely, auto-ethnogen... How do you say that word? Ethnographic? Auto-ethnographic studies about pedophilic what? masturbation. What is that? What? Click on that link. Uh -huh. <laughs> what, is, what are they saying? What is this study? Uh, we'll, get, we'll come back to this in a moment. I want to know what the fuck they're talking about. So university oh, investigators, oh, PhD. I yeah, click on that. Okay. Click on that real quick. Hold on. University investigates PhD students' paper oh on masturbating gosh. to comics of young boys. Holy shit. Manchester University launches inquiry into ethical standards after paper details masturbation sessions. A leading university has launched an inquiry after it emerged that one of its PhD students has written a research paper about sexual attraction to young boys. Carl Anderson spent 
three months recording his thoughts and feelings while masturbating over images of young boys in Japanese comic books. In the abstract for the paper, Anderson, who's interviewing fans of Shota, I guess, S-H-O-T-A, comics for his PhD, said he wanted to understand how they experience sexual pleasure while reading Shota. Oh, you wanted to understand. I get it. Normal. <laughs> His 4,000-word study, which detailed his sexual habits and sexual encounters between boys in the comics, was published in the journal Qualitative Research in April. It provoked outrage from academics and MP and others after it was circulated on Twitter this week. Yeah, there, there's a normalization of all kinds of sexual attraction you know, including illegal sexual attraction. They're just trying to talk it. They're trying to say that people aren't pedophiles. They're minor attracted exactly. individuals. Go, go is, back. To, sorry. Go back to that article, Jamie, if you don't mind. Just that. See that bottom part. It says I have this is the guy, right? The guy who did this research. He says, I happened to live alone during this experiment and I had newly become single after a long relationship. Those factors probably contributed to my willingness and eagerness to explore this method. Sick. That's so crazy. Sick. This this is this is exactly um you know when you don't believe in truth and you know you're talking about the furries like you know the the accommodations for this child who identifies as a cat in yeah. school then you have the minor attracted persons there are no boundaries anymore. Right. There the, the are no teachers boundaries. in the school and the school itself should have said no. Exactly. To the parent, no crazy. Right. First of all, what are you doing to your kid? Right. That you let your kid because they identify as an animal use a litter box. They're still a human. Right. Use a goddamn bathroom. It's sanitary. It's much better. Like do you want your house smell like human pee? What if they eat asparagus and then they they pee into a box? Yeah. You don't think that's gross? You want to go into the bathroom and smell asparagus pee because your kid is fucking crazy yeah. and you're encouraging that? Right. That's nuts. Right. Go back to that big boob gentleman slash female <laughs> hoaxer. I want to finish what, where we're at. So try to figure out what, what is happening here. Um, we're around here. Okay, we're right around there. Uh, and in much of the same way, if Lemieux is attempting to force an absurd anti-discrimination law to breaking point, the attempt has failed. Rather than forcing the school to confront the grotesque absurdity of letting a male wear prosthetic boobs to a teaching job, it simply promoted a debate on what size and shape the prosthetic should be. Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh my God. The school exacerbated uh, at the international attention they've garnered has simply approved a new dress code that would force Lemieux to wear slightly smaller fake boobs. But what if you actually have real augmented boobs that are that big? Because people do. Yeah. Go, go to that. Go back to that, please. Uh, that just... Click on the new dress code. <laughs> I need to find out <laughs> what the fucking... What, are the, what you guys are out of How your mind. How far are they bending over backward to... This is a school, not a circus. <laughs> Students joined protesters outside the Canadian school with trans teacher with oversized prosthetic breasts. I don't think it's really a trans teacher. I think they're calling this person mm -hmm. a trans teacher, but I, according to Reddit, which uh, I hold in high regard, <laughs> I think they. Yeah, I was trying to do some research on the on Kayla real quick. Yeah, what are they saying? I didn't get. You, I had to go back to the article. 
first. Yeah, me and I'm Duncan were actually going back and forth about it yesterday, trying to figure out how much of a hoax it was and laughing hysterically. Because if it is a hoax, uh, along the lines of the Helen Pluckrose and Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay studies, it's really funny. Yeah. It's really funny because this person has taken it to the umpteenth degree. Exactly. Like, these are crazy—for folks just listening, these things are the size of a small child. Yeah. Like, if Seriously. a small child, like if a six-year-old was in the fetal position and they yeah. hung from your neck— that would literally be the size of one of these breasts. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's I think the point remains, right? Whether it's a hoax or right. not, it points to how insane our society and culture has become where rather than the school being like, yo, <laughs> no. <laughs> yo this is the is right not thing to say happening. Too. Yo, yo is the perfect thing to say there. Like, yo. <laughs> what are you doing, exactly. man? Exactly. Not only that, you're you're in wood shop. Yeah. Okay, which is you're not even supposed to have loose clothes. Right. How do you have giant rubber boots? That's so dangerous. It is. He's using a bandsaw. <laughs> Excuse me. She's using a bandsaw. Like, look at that. Oh look at the size of those goodness. things. Imagine these poor fucking kids. Uh, Imagine no like you, you go in there and she's wearing sunglasses indoors, too, which is awesome. Right. I mean, the whole thing is just so crazy. <sighs> Canada is... Canada is like California on some sort of SSRI. Yeah. It's like they've taken it to a whole new level. Yeah. Okay, so right there is uh, Kayla Lemieux. That's like, a YouTube video. Like, okay. There's a bunch of YouTube Whoa videos. Woke culture, endgame. Look at the size of the nipples. That's so crazy. Insane. The nipples are enormous. <sighs> this person literally has shoulder straps. Like yeah. they're backpacking you can see them, in the actually, woods. Right? Yeah. Like they've got a week's worth of food in those things. They're oh carrying it around on their gosh. back. That's so nuts. Yeah, clear shoulder straps. Oh. I mean, it's... Look at the Twitter, the, the tweet. Oh, sorry. Kayla Lemieux is conclusive proof that trans women are women and that there's absolutely no connection between trans activism and mental health issues or misogyny. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Conclusive. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously that's satire. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, but it's... Uh, it, I would have uh. never imagined if we went four or five years ago. I remember when I had um, uh, Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay on the podcast years ago, people were saying to me, like, why are you concentrating on this? Like, this is some stuff that's happening at mm -hmm. universities. Why is this even a... Like, why are you obsessed with this? And I said, because this is going to spill over into society. Exactly. Like, you don't see this? Yeah. It's like, if, if, you, if we have barbarians that land in Hawaii and they start attacking, marauding, and they get in their boats and they start moving towards America... And you go like, well, hey, uh, I think this is coming here. Like, why are you concentrating on that? Exactly. This is only happening in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. No, they're fucking in the boats now, kids. Yeah. They're yeah. in the boats, and now they've they've hit land. Yeah. And now they're burning through tech industry. They're burning through so many corporations. Yeah. Because all this craziness is an accepted ideology in universities. Mm -hmm. So you let these children get away from their parents. Fuck my mom and dad. My mom and dad are bullshit and they're racist and fascist and this and that. And then they go to school, which their mom and dad paid for probably, or they got crazy student loans that they mm -hmm. can never get away from. Mm -hmm. And then they infect these corporations. Mm -hmm. So you have these people that are in their 50s and 60s that are running these corporations going, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? Exactly. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. You guys, you want a litter box in the bathroom? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's happening at... In tech companies too. Yeah, you, you talk to uh, I've talked to a number of different CEOs who've very clearly expressed that their biggest headache in life is with their HR departments. Yeah, 
they're trying Activism. to feel like, what in the world are we doing here? That's what, you know, you, we started this by saying like, how did we get here? Yeah. What you just outlined is exactly how we got here. So much of this has been happening already, you know, for, for decades in some of these incredibly, uh, I don't even know what you call them, in, in, in a lot of the universities. And then you start seeing it. Okay, well, here's the boundary today. Okay, cool. Got that. We're going to shift it. We're going to shift the, the, you know, the goalpost. Okay, cool. Got that. We're going to shift the goalpost. We're going to shift the goalpost. It never ends. It doesn't. It never ends. And, and that's where the, 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 the thing that I, you know, people warned against in the past, but it's hard to imagine that it would be possible, certainly within our lifetimes, the normalization of pedophilia. Yes. What you said, the minor attracted persons and yeah. don't stigmatize that. You know, we're all people. We should all be allowed to celebrate ourselves and all this Madness. other crap. We're talking about kids. Yeah. And how a lot of these same people who are saying, hey, if you refuse to use pronouns, you're fired. Uh, a friend of mine in a, in a huge New York law firm, corporate policy is you have to put your pronouns in your email signature block or you will have to talk to the HR department. And he's like one of the partners at this law firm. He's like, this is bullshit. Now, why do they make that distinction? Why, what, what kind of pressure forced them into having something as crazy as like you have to have your pronouns? I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, I, I think that um, it's driven by fear. But it, like, what All of this percentage is by of the fear? people are having a problem identifying someone yeah. without pronouns. Yeah. Like how many people are we I, talking about? I would about? imagine it's a very small number. It's a very small number. It just the number of people that identify as trans is higher than it's ever been before, which is really weird that that's not consistent. And you could say, well, it's because they feel comfortable doing that because it's an accepted part of society. Like maybe. But according to Abigail Schreier, who wrote that bo book, uh, Irreversible Damage, right. with young girls, it's up an extraordinary amount, like a, a preposterous amount, where they have these clusters of girls who identify as trans in school, where you get like eight, nine kids yeah. that just all in a friend group identify as trans. And she's like, there's a very distinct possibility that this is a social contagion. Yeah. And that this is, that there are, and with, without the denying that some people are trans, because there are, but it's like, how do you know now? Yeah. Because this is one of those incredibly bizarre human issues where it's open to interpretation like this guy or woman whatever with the giant rubber boobs can just say that they are a woman and everyone has to back off right because of that because of a lack of an ability to prove something mm -hmm. now you're in this area where it's open to how someone feels exactly and that you could just decide well that's how you get male prisoners mm -hmm. who go into female prisons and impregnate inmates exactly which is so crazy that's how you get male athletes who want to compete in women's sports and when the women complain they get kicked off the team exactly and forced out of the locker room yep. which we're seeing yep which is nuts because it's just how you feel yep i um i talked with carlos barza recently and uh, about this issue specifically. And I just, I gave her great credit because she has been and continues to be very outspoken about how dangerous it is, uh, especially in mixed martial arts, to have biological males competing against biological females. And, you know, she, she grew up uh, competing on the boys' wrestling team in high school because there was no girls' team. And 
at that age, even she was just like, yeah, I experienced the unfairness of it because obviously these boys are built very differently. And she's like, I'm stronger than the average girl my size, but still uh, I couldn't compete at a level playing field. And then you take that forward to mixed martial arts. I know you've talked about this a lot about how actually dangerous it is, but the fact that it takes a whole lot of courage for a UFC champion, a female UFC champion to speak out and say, Hey, no biological males should not be competing against biological females. That's an act of courage in this society rather than just like, yeah, of course she's stating fact it's truth. But this is the problem is when you when you have this, you know, it's it's the Democratic Party leadership. It's the it, and the, uh, you know, progressive left that is so ideologically zealous about this cause because it's the cause today. Tomorrow it'll be something else. They create this culture of fear that there will be consequences uh, towards those who who differ uh, and also that they ju- they just don't believe in truth. And so whatever they say is true today is true today. Whatever they see, say is true tomorrow is true tomorrow. But the danger of that is you take away all the boundaries of, you know, what is true and what is false. You know, right. you take away the boundaries of, of the things that science actually does prove. And what are we left with then? We have no foundation. And then we end up where we're at. Like, oh, okay, well, today we're, we're going to promote pedophiles. That's what we're going to promote today. You know, we're going to we're going to push books in public schools, kindergarten, first grade, third grade, fifth grade that are causing your child to say, well, I don't know if I'm a boy or I don't know if I'm a girl. I saw some of these books that that um, uh, some of the parents in Virginia and other states are protesting uh, at their boards of education, trying to get these books removed from their their kids' schools. These books, like I thought, okay, how bad can it be? I, I saw them and yeah. they are some of the most graphic images I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, including oral sex. Including oral sex. And and this is this is targeted towards twelve year olds, thirteen year olds. So strange that we've gone this far like into cuckoo land. And that it's happened it's, so it quickly. It seems like it's happened so quickly, but that's where if we actually stop and think about it, it has been very intentional and the groundwork has been laid uh, over time. Do you think it's intentional, like planned out, or do you think that there is an ideology that gets accepted and then that ideology, fe- it's like a forest fire. It feeds off new fuel, so it has to expand its boundaries. I, that's I, think, what I, think. I think it's probably a combination of both. So if, if it is intentional, whose intention is it to spread this? People who... I mean, it's it's the it's the very same people who are doing it now. I think over time, trying to see how far they can push, uh, you know, I mean, the sexualization of our kids in our society. Um, you know, I I don't know exactly who the person is or the group is or whatever, but we can't have gotten to this place by by accident. Why not? Because it's happened, it's happened so methodically and so quickly over over right. time. But if it's a mind virus, which I, what I think it is, and I think that these these ideological perspectives that are not grounded in reality get accepted by people, and then they promote it. These people mm-hmm. are promoting it without any uh, conversation with some cabal of evil leaders. Right. It's clear there's a mechanism in play. Yeah. And that mechanism is very easy to follow. You could see where it starts in universities. Mm-hmm. You could also <clears throat> you could also see that in these universities, these people that 
are promoting these things and teaching children also grew up in the university system themselves, and most of them don't have any real-world experience. They have experience going from being in a university to teaching in a university, and then promoting these ideologies that are preposterous to the rest of the world, as if they're smarter than the rest of the world, yeah. and then that keeps spreading. Yeah. It needs more fuel, yeah. so it keeps moving further and further to the left, and further right. and further into crazy land. But I don't think, I think just by observing that, just by observing the fact that these people that are promoting these things, they're not being paid to do it. They're not, they're stuck in this this mind virus. Yeah. And this woke mind virus, this ideological mind virus yeah. is trackable. Yeah. You, you could see it and you could see how it infects people. I've seen it infect people. You know, I, I, I had this guy on the podcast, his name's Adam Conover. And he has a show, Adam Questions Everything, or Adam Ruins Everything. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm -mm. We got into the subject of trans people in sports. And, you know, and his position was the most far left, far woke. I just think it would be great to be inclusive and mm -hmm. this and that. I go, well, well why, why do women have a specific category? Why can't men compete against women? Right. And then that's, that's like the... Uh, that's where the record skips right because obviously there's there's differences right so what are the differences between a trans woman and a biological woman right. they're pretty fucking significant huge they're huge and if you 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 want to actually study science it's it, i mean if you have the science of that it's trackable like right you could see it right like but in when it comes to the mind virus people don't ever want to accept that reality they want to go inclusivity. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. yeah. They say the words. Yeah. They just say these words right. you're supposed to say, or you get attacked. Exactly. And they're terrified of being attacked. Exactly. And and these are people who, uh, as you said, they're they're not connected to reality. Don't have any um, kind of personal experience. I think I think I, I was shocked when I saw Megan Rapinoe basically say I, I don't know what her statement was, but basically it was like, yeah, you know, there there's no real difference. Like, right. okay, well, you already won your Olympic gold. Exactly. Uh, got it. So are you saying that you you could have gone and won that gold uh, competing against men well, on I the soccer had, field? You know, I have a friend who's uh, a gay guy who's a power lifter, and he, he was upset that people were upset that trans women want to compete as women. And I was like, dude, out of all the fucking yeah. people, you're a giant-ass power lifter, right. dude. Out of right. all the giant people that are all the people, rather, that know there's a difference between biological males and females. Right. It should be you. But in that LBGT, whatever the other extra words are. There's a lot more now. There's like a plus in there. Some, what's the plus? Um, it's like, it, I think it's like the equivalent of et cetera. Ah, it's like, who have, like, what is it? Else? It's like LGBTQIA. And I, don't ask me what they all stand for because I don't, I don't really know. And then it's the plus at the end. What could the I be? Intersex? Is it intersex? Yeah. Is it? What's, what's, what's the, the A? a? Asexual. Uh, okay. Well, you don't even have a fucking dog in the, <laughs> the I'm actually guessing. I'm actually guessing. Yeah. I don't know. It could be something else. I don't but if you're that. asexual, stay the fuck out of it. <laughs> how, are you, how is asexual lumped in there with gay men? That's a very Because good gay point. men are the most non-asexual right. people alive. Right. All they're doing is having sex. Like the fact that if the you're asexual. You're like, hey, I'm not even in this conversation, man. <laughs> Leave fact, me out of it. Is it, is it asexual? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, the gosh. fact that gay men get lumped in with lesbians <laughs> right. is like, you, lesbians and yeah. gay men don't necessarily get no. along that well because of that reason. Gay men no. are pretty fucking sexual. Yeah. And then you get down to asexual, and then it's in the same right. group. And they're, I mean, like, I'm, you know, 
gay and lesbian friends of mine don't get on with the whole like trans activism part either. I mean, there's no, this is not of, one, you know, what do you call it? Like monolithic group. Well, they have to publicly support that because of that whole group, this, this whole uh, lumping in of everyone together. That's why a lot of gay and lesbians support that. But if a lot of them, if you talk to them, you know, specifically in in my conversations with lesbian women, that lesbians have a, a real hard time with trans women entering into what is in their mind feminist spaces sure. and then running things yeah. and running things like a man and running things with threats yeah. and with uh, aggression and, and, and insults and yeah. treating people the way biological men right. tend to treat people when they're behaving at their worst. Right. And you know that's a that's a real giant issue because yeah. if you're a woman and you're a feminist, you're supposed to be ideologically left, you know, maybe even like far left in in some of their eyes, and now all of a sudden you get lumped in with something you completely disagree with. Yeah, it's um, before I left Congress, I introduced a bill called the uh, Protect Women's Sports Act. What is a woman? Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am a woman. Well, just you, to make that clear. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> um, I could be one too. Don't, don't get cocky. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to do I, my I, next I'm going to put rubber myself boobs. out there and disagree wholeheartedly wow. with that, Joe Rogan. <laughs> you are a big. I know. I can't you know. Outrageous. <laughs> I've been called worse things. Yeah. Um, we introduced this legislation. I introduced it with a Republican friend of mine named Mark Wayne Mullen from Oklahoma. And uh, he's got uh, six kids. Three of them are little girls. All of his kids wrestle. And the bill was very, very simple in upholding the original intent of Title IX. In, uh, Can you explain Title IX to people? Title IX was passed, gosh, I think in the 70s, if I'm not mistaken, Um and it was a huge landmark piece of legislation because it delineated, it, it provided a level playing field on the basis of sex, meaning males have opportunities, females deserve those same opportunities, whether it be in sports or in college, uh, in, um, and in all public funded, in a public funding realm, essentially. The, where, where the federal government can impact it, it said there has to be a level playing field and equal opportunities. So people like my mom who grew up, she's very athletic. The only thing that was available to her in high school was, was cheerleading, and she did it. She was great. But she would have liked the opportunity to be able to compete in other sports. Carla Esparza, I think, is, is a more uh, you know, modern-day example. There were no girls uh, wrestling teams in her high school. Uh, she got a scholarship to wrestle in college on a girls' team, and obviously she has gone on to do amazing things. Um, so Title IX was created recognizing that difference on the basis of sex. Um, Democrats have championed Title IX and talked about this great accomplishment in passing this legislation for decades. And that's where it makes no sense. So our, our legislation basically just said, hey, we want to uphold the original intent of Title IX in recognizing the biological differences between males and females, period. They should not be competing against each other. Uh, the legislation didn't move forward for obvious reasons. Um, we were excoriated for having the audacity to uphold the original intent of Title IX. And... 
now what we're seeing with the Biden administration is administratively, not even through passing legislation, they're trying to backdoor this move to change the rules around Title IX to include gender identity rather than having it be on the basis of biological sex to include gender identity and threatening schools that they will withhold federal funding unless they adopt this rule change within the Biden administration. Again, not running through Congress, not allowing the people's voices to be heard, but trying to backdoor this through in, and, and uh, making threats to publicly funded educational institutions as a means of, of uh, trying to implement this. Now, why do you think they're doing that? And is that publicly supported? Because the only thing that makes sense is politically they would do that because that would help them in terms of an election. Why else would they do that? There are polls that have been done that show not only a majority of Americans disagree with this, uh, but also a majority of Democrats disagree with this. And so why they're doing it, they're, they're catering to um, the, those ideological zealots within the Democratic Party and trying to placate them in their uh, radical uh, policies and their extremes rather than actually standing up and saying, you know what, no, this is science, this is biology, and this is what's right. And oh, by the way, it's also it would also be politically uh, beneficial given where the vast majority of Democrats and Americans are on this. But it's just wild that no one's pushing back. Yep. It's, it's really wild, especially no one in the Democratic Party. They seem like they're captive by the furthest left. Yeah, it's true. And that doesn't make any sense to me That's because true. if the majority of Democrats, and I, I agree with that, the majority of people that I know that are on the left don't think it's fair, why why are they doing it then? Because that seems like that would be an unpopular position. It Not is. just an unpopular position, but horribly unpopular for people that have daughters that compete in sports. Exactly. Like if you're a daughter and you're competing in that Connecticut track and field team where those two biological males are breaking world records, like... That's crazy. It is. Like, at what point in time do you not understand you're denying a child of, of a fair future? Yeah. You're denying them a potential scholarship where they could go to a university and pursue an education. Yeah. Like, you're fucking them up because of this thing that doesn't even affect you. It's exactly. Not, like you're just doing it for this cult-like ideological perspective. Exactly. And that's that's the danger of it is... The people in charge of the Democratic Party, whether they actually hold positions or they just are influential in the Democratic Party, uh, have created this cult-like atmosphere and fomented this fear so much so that people who are really in a position to impact this, to stand up against it and say, hold on, guys, this is literally insane and needs to needs to stop. They're too afraid to do so because of what the ramifications will be. Uh, the Democratic Party of the past, the Democratic Party that I joined doesn't exist anymore. The party that was, um, you know, the party of JFK, of Dr. Martin Luther King, the party of inclusivity, the big tent party that welcomed and encouraged this marketplace of ideas and conversations and people who held different views, the party of, uh, you know, that championed women and equality and the rights of people in our society, that party just, it doesn't exist anymore. And instead we have a party that's being led by, by people who have gone insane with this ideological uh, fanaticism. And 
there are a lot of different issues, a lot of different examples. You know, the whole issue of, of uh, biology and uh, the trans issue is just one of them. There are so many different others. You know, parents don't have a, you don't have a right to raise your kids now. You don't have a right to say what they're being taught in schools now. The state, the government, the, the, the teachers unions, only they have that right and responsibility. They're undermining families. Uh, they don't believe in the rule of law. Yeah, defund the police, the Supreme Court. We don't agree with them. So they're illegitimate. There's so many different examples of this, this, um, I, the, these ideologues who have taken control of the Democratic Party, who don't actually care about the people. It's all about themselves, their power, and their maintaining control. And that's the real threat to our democracy that they pose is they don't believe in freedom of speech. They don't believe in freedom of thought. They don't believe in freedom of religion. All they believe in is you've got to buy into whatever they're selling at any given day. And, and like I said, not only it's not enough to agree. You've got to go out there. You've got to march in the parade. You've got to carry the sign. You've got to scream and yell. And don't you dare even think about talking to Republicans. Don't don't even think about working with Republicans because that that directly undermines their their authority. And, and frankly, Joe, this is something that I've I've been um, I've been trying to fight against within the Democratic Party back when I was vice chair of the DNC uh, for years. And it's it's gotten to a point where um, those who have been in charge for a long time remain in charge, uh, are not willing to change. And uh, and so I'm 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 leaving the Democratic Party. Is that this big announcement? Yeah. You're leaving the Democratic Party. I'm leaving the Party. Democratic Party because I've tried to enact that change from within. It's not I I I I don't see the Democratic Party as being savable. And I know that I can make an impact uh more from the outside. And I and, and frankly I just I can't be associated and stand by uh this this insanity that's been going on and continues to worsen day by day. Are you going to be an independent? Yep. So that's how you're moving forward. Yep. What what is it about this country that is so politically married to having two teams and two teams only? And how do we fix that? Because there is there there is very little room for someone who's a third party candidate to be taken seriously in this country. And when you do vote for a libertarian, you do vote for an independent, many people think of it as a protest vote. Spoiler, right? Yeah. Or, or at the very least, you say, you know, that, that that's why I voted for Joe Jorgensen. That, that is me personally, why I did. Because I was like, this, I'm not voting for him, and I'm not voting for her. Yeah. Fuck this. And then I'm not voting. Or th that was, with this one, it was Biden, actually. But that was also why I was voting for Gary Johnson. It was like, I'm yeah. not voting for her, and I'm not voting for him. I'll right. vote for that guy, even if he doesn't know where Aleppo is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. But I don't, that's, oh. that wasn't that big of a deal to me. That, to me, was it like. It seems like, I mean, it was a big deal at the time, but it seems like so minor now compared to, you know, our vice president standing at the DMZ yeah. saying we are Great allies with North Korea. What a fuck up that was, and that didn't even make the news. Oh like, b my people gosh. barely talked about it. Exactly. Our great partnership with North Korea. Like what? Yeah. North Korea. Yeah. You're and not. She didn't even stand there and be like, "I'm sorry, I misspoke." Right. 
No. Well, sometimes people, like, you don't realize you're... I do that all the time. Like, Jamie will correct me all the time. I'll say something that I thought... I thought I'd said another thing. Right. And he's like, you said that. I go, oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, I didn't mean that. I meant yeah. the other thing. Right. Because you just... It's just a flub. Yeah. I haven't... I I guess I guess the problem is it comes in a long line of flubs. Oh, she's and, um <laughs> She is absolutely terrible. And that is, for you... That is where, like, everything sort of soured with you and the Democratic Party was when, during the debates, where you accurately pointed out her record. Yeah. And you 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 basically sank any hope that she had of being president because you opened up this discussion that many people are not aware of about her prosecution record and the things that she's done that are absolutely illegal, yeah. like forcing people to work as labor as cheap labor for the state to fight wildfires after they're supposed to be released exactly they did their time they did their time and she kept them in prison to use them essentially as slave labor for the state putting their own lives at risk forcibly the the thing about um my exchange with her on that debate stage um when you take a step back you got a question like all of those things i brought up on her record you easily Googleable on the first page when you look at Kamala Harris's record, all of those things. I'd have to dig very deep to see what those issues and problems were with her record. So then the question is, hey, why didn't why didn't anybody in the media ask her these questions about the record that she said, I'm so proud of my record as this and as that as that. All right, cool. Talk about this. This is your record. Talk about these things. No one in the media did that. There's no other candidate on the debate stage who had the balls to bring that up. How, how, how are voters supposed to be able to make their best informed decision when the media and fellow Democratic candidates who are running, who are her opponents in that race, don't have the courage to ask a very factual question on a record that she says she's proud of. Do you think that there's a concerted effort to hide that information? Or do you think that people recognize that that that, that that's that's a trap like if, if I do that then it's gonna fuck up my future they're gonna not want me to participate in certain things which most certainly happened to you yes that most certainly happened to, and and that shows the double standard I you know I don't know why no one had the courage to ask her those questions why I was the first person to do it uh, if I had to guess I would imagine it's because she's got friends in high places I would guess it's because She's a she's a woman of color and no one wants to be seen as the person attacking a woman of color who's running for president. They got no issues attacking me uh, on a whole host of fronts. But because, again, she she was connected. She's playing the game. She's somebody that the Democratic Party knows that they can control. And that was the thing for me is and, and it started years before I ran for president is once the Democratic, I, I went to, got elected to Congress and they were like, oh, she's the first this, she's the first that, she's cool, she's going to be one of us, we'll put her forward and, you know, she'll be a great new face of the Democratic Party, all these things. But then very quickly they realized, like, I mean, I've, I've always been an independent Democrat. Every race that I've ever run, whether it was for city council in Honolulu or for the state legislature or for Congress, I was never like the party pick, ever. I never won any of those races with the, the Democratic Party saying, all right, hey, we're going to back you up. We're going to send you money. We're going to send the troops out to support you. None of that. It was always been a truly grassroots campaign of the people, which is amazing. 
they found out very quickly, like, oh, okay, she's not somebody that, you know, the puppet masters can control. She's not just going to read the talking points when she goes on TV or stands on the house floor. And, and that's where things started to take a turn, um, where those who are in those positions of power said, okay, she's somebody who could expose our weaknesses, expose uh, our insecurities, expose the hypocrisies in our arguments, and uh, and started to create that distance and then resorted to the smear and the discrediting and the attacks and then ultimately like total media blackouts. It's amazing when I talk to people and it happened recently with Alex Berenson. He was like, uh, isn't she crazy? I'm like, what's crazy? How's she crazy? Tell me how she's crazy. And then no examples. I'm like, well, why are you saying that? Like, why does someone say? He's like, yeah, you actually, you're right. Like, I don't have a... An example. Yeah. I'm like, isn't that weird that you just like have you're and he's a journalist. Mm-hmm. I mean, work for the New York Times, and it just isn't she crazy? Yep, yep. Accepting that, and that's how they do it. Wild. That's how they do it. Is is like, hey, let's just plant a seed of doubt or suspicion, yeah. so that most people. I mean, as a journalist, he's got no excuse, but most people don't have. Um, just, I'm mean, honestly, they don't have the time. That's they the hear thing, right? one thing. They're like, shoot, like I got kids. I got yeah. work. We got soccer games. We got this. We got that. And you want me to do research? Like, wait, what? Right. And you want me to do research from multiple different platforms exactly. so that I get an a unbiased perspective yeah. so, or at least a, an objective perspective based on multiple sources of, of in- information. It's like it's such a bizarre system that we have and it's so easy to to rig because there's only two parties and both parties are controlled by these gigantic special interest groups gigantic special interest groups uh corporate for-profit media big tech and then the powers in both parties uh and that's where I'm, i'm glad you used the word rigged because uh it's an important word and usually when you use it people aren't thinking of it in the way that we're talking about. Uh, It's what I experienced during that campaign is that collusion between those very, very powerful entities to decide before voters even get a chance to be exposed to different candidates to choose from. They decide, all right, here are the candidates. Here's the people that we're going to, you know, we think will be all right. We think they're going to play the game and we'll promote them. We'll say nice things about them. Maybe throw in a tough question here or there just to not blow our cover. But these are the people that we want voters to choose from. And these other people are the ones that we're going to try to either uh, just slide into the darkness and hope nobody notices them. Or if people are noticing them, we're going to do everything that we can to smear them and and uh, and undermine their credibility so that when they do speak, you get that kind of reaction from uh, Berenson. Did you notice an immediate change in the way people communicated with you before that debate versus after that debate? Um, that was that was one of one of the factors. That was one of the factors. The the interesting thing to me was that I heard from some friends who were sitting kind of in the green rooms and backstage for some of the major cable networks at that moment. Uh, live when it happened on the debate stage, there was a whole bunch of people cheering and like, holy crap, that just happened. Yeah. Uh, but probably within within an hour, maybe 30 minutes of the debate being finished and going into the media room where they, you know, the you've got the post debate, all the interviews and all those things happening immediately. It was like, OK, no, 
we've got we've to change the narrative because we can't allow that to stick. Is there any uh, courting of you by the Republican Party? Um, not that I know of. You have no interest? No, no. I mean, look, the, the, the Republican Party, I mean, what is the Republican Party today? You know, I, I've got Republican friends who um, don't like to be associated with each other because mm. they're in different factions of the Republican Party. Um, I think that, you know, when you look at the two, uh, I think there's potential there for that party. That's the, the Republican Party is kind of turned more towards populism and actually fighting for working people. Uh, it, it's a you look at a recent vote that was taken, um, you know, f- on the issue of foreign policy and war and peace. Um, the the Republican Party had like I think it was 50 members of Congress voted against that massive multi-billion dollar um, funding package for Ukraine and have been saying, hey, we shouldn't be waging this proxy war against Russia, or at least we need to have a debate or accountability. Zero Democrats voted against that. So you look at, you know, the Democratic Party that used to have people who, you know, protested the Vietnam War and, and others now. I mean, the Democratic Party leadership is is very strongly within the grips of the military industrial complex and advocating for more war and you have more Republicans. And I think even Trump, this was this was Trump's instinct when when he ran for president and he he was president was like, hey, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be going and being the policemen of the world. We shouldn't be going around the world and starting all these wars. Um, I think the problem with him was he surrounded himself with people who uh, held a diametrically opposed view. Um, You know, Mike Pompeo, uh, Nikki Haley, John Bolton, people who never saw a war they didn't like um, and advocated for. Uh, so I, I, there's there's movement. There's movement happening within um, the Democratic Party leadership is going crazy. I think the Republican Party is, I don't know, they're, I think they're trying to figure out what, what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if they had someone like Ron DeSantis, who seems to be like the most reasonable amongst the, the potential candidates, he seems to be, you know, a, a pretty no-nonsense guy, not without his flaws, but it he's more reasonable than anything that I'm seeing on the left. Yeah. The, at least with his, the way he handled COVID. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's one of those things where, as it's all playing out, there's this sense of hopelessness because there's not, a, like, a clearly defined path where this country's ship gets righted. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I just see a lot of chaos and and a lot of confusion and a lot of infighting, and I don't know how this plays out. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like there's a real clear, oh, this is our path to sanity. Uh, you're right. And I think the first step towards that path, though, is people recognizing what the insanity is and um and and the problems um and i think that more and more these things these things are coming to light um i can tell you i mean i I know there are a lot of democrats that feel the same kind of frustration that i feel with the democratic party leadership Often quietly yes yeah there's a lot of quiet disagreement where people just like i don't i'm not voting for trump but what the fuck are we doing right and and i think there's there's uh, there's that in the in the Republican Party as well. Yeah, and so 
I think that that creates opportunity for us as a country to to get out of just this um, this two party system mindset and this mindset of fear that drives so many of the elections. Where instead of saying like, "Hey, I'm running for president because this is how this is how I'm offering to lead the country. This is how I'm offering to serve the country. Here are the things that I'll do." Instead of that, we are we are kind of relegated to. Um, hey, vote for me or vote for my party because the other guy's the devil. Right. And not and and really treating voters like like we're idiots and we don't care or have the intelligence to actually look at, okay, here's where you stand on this issue. Here's where this other person stands on this issue. I'm gonna make my decision not based on party but actually based on, hey, who best reflects my values? Who, who is actually going to put uh, the country first, the interests of the American people and, and the country first? And not just the people who say the words, but the people who actually um, you know, have, the, have the record and the policies um, to back that up. And, and so I, I, I hope that this is, this is the direction that we're moving in as more and more people get disillusioned um, with leaders in both parties who care more about their own political ambitions and their own party's power than they actually do care about the American people. It seems like part of the problem is that that attack style of politics works. Like, just think about someone saying, oh, she's crazy. Like, okay, how is she crazy? But that's a narrative. Mm -hmm. And it gets out there because they attacked you. Mm -hmm. So, like, that stuff works. That's what's unfortunate is that instead of... To make it like if if there was an incentive to say these are our plans and this is how we can implement this and just ignore negativity on the other side. Yeah. This is what I want to do and I think that we are the best hope for the American people moving forward. Yeah. I you know when when I was running for president uh, at town halls that we held across the country, it didn't really matter where we were, whether it was a small town or a big city, Middle America, East Coast, West Coast. Um, one of the things that um, one of the the media embedded reporters that would you know kind of follow us around everywhere we went said made an observation that I that I thought was pretty awesome. Uh, this reporter said, "Gosh, you know, I go to all these different campaign and candidate events. Um, yours is the only one where people walk out feeling hopeful and feeling inspired." And we had Democrats, Republicans, and Independents and Libertarians at every single one of those. And it was because we talked about different issues. We talked about, uh, you know, the the threat of, of, of nuclear war. We talked about this new Cold War, the dangers of continuing down this path. We talked about things that they education. We talked about how we actually talked about these things. Most days, I, there, I never brought up Trump. Because why? I'm running and I'm, I'm asking you, hey, let me have the opportunity to serve you and here's, here's what we will do. Whereas with these other candidates, these other Democrat candidates who were running, people left angry. People left angry. And that was their only goal was mm. like, hey, how many lines against Trump can we use that we know are going to piss people off and motivate them through anger and fear rather than through hope? Uh, and inspiration for what we can do together as a country. Um, that that's the direction that we need that we need to go. And there there are a lot of things that that um, are issues that are of concern. Um, and treating people with respect and like they have intelligence 
uh, and actually tackling those issues, um, breaking through and being able to, to deliver that message to the American people, I think, is, is the challenge. I think people want it, but the media the media does a really great job of kind of reducing reducing things to their um, their lowest kind of standard. Do you think that the biggest challenge or one of the uh, – let me I should just rephrase that. One of the biggest challenges, I believe, is the influence of money. And when you look at one of – Dave Smith was on the podcast recently and we went over the defense budget and – I had no idea it was that much. It's it's such an insane yeah. amount of money. How can decisions be made that are not influenced by that money? When you're talking about whatever the what, what was it? 1.7 trillion dollars. That is a preposterously huge amount of money per year. Yeah. That was the 2022 budget apparently. What can be done? to remove money from the equation of doing the right thing, doing the safe thing, doing the, 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 th- the thing that's going to secure the future of America and put, put us in a good direction. It seems like money is so inexorably tied to all the political decisions that get made in this country, particularly when it has to do with foreign policy. Yeah. When you're talking about, and you have been a very outspoken critic of inter- interventionalist uh, foreign policy and wars that are unnecessary and that put lives in danger and cost incredible amounts of money, but enrich the coffers of all these corporations. And that undermine our own yes. interests and security interests. Yeah. Yes. And this is exactly what Eisenhower warned of when he was leaving office. Exactly. The military industrial complex. I mean, that is such a nefarious term. And to most people, it's sort of abstract. Like you hear that term, the military industrial complex. Like you know, if you go to the average person on the street, even a well-educated person, like define that. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Like where, what, how do they f- affect policy and change? And what's the defense budget? Like wh- how much money are we talking about? Mm-hmm. So with things like funding the Ukraine war with Russia. Please explain to people what that means and why why we're sending so much money over to Ukraine. Um so so let's start with with that. Let's start with the military industrial complex. Okay. What is it? Who is it? It is these massive defense corporations who make uh all these different weapon systems from the smallest to the most powerful nuclear weapons and missiles. Uh, When we are at war, they make a lot of money. Uh, When uh, politicians, uh, even if we're not at war, but are threatening that we may go to war, they make a lot of money. And these decisions are not made within the context of, hey, what does our military actually need? What do we need to ensure that our military is ready to defend our country and our national security interests? It is uh, very often what members of Congress are advocating for, even more than the military is asking for sometimes uh, because of those rela- those cozy relationships with the military industrial complex, with these massive defense contractors and their lobbyists. So there's a direct uh, there's a direct correlation as the money is changing hands there. Um, 
the the problem is not with the Democratic Party, the Republican Party on this issue. When you see the so much divisiveness on tons of other issues facing our country, everything from infrastructure to education, all these other things, you see like, oh, my gosh, Democrats and Republicans can't agree on anything. This issue of putting our country in a continual state of war is supported by leaders in both parties and the majority of people in both parties. And it's directly tied to the military industrial complex's influence and tied to people who, you know, want to act and look tough, but aren't asking the most important questions like, okay, if we do this, will this help the American people or hurt the American people? Uh, If we vote to, uh, you know, send these billions of dollars to Ukraine, is that strengthening our national security or undermining it. You'll hear a lot of rhetoric, uh, especially recently, saying, hey, uh, if we, um, we've we got to send all this money to Ukraine, otherwise Russia's going to come and attack us here. Otherwise, our national security will be undermined. So they say all these things to foment fear in people's minds, but they're not rooted in reality. So what we're seeing play out now is essentially a proxy war. Uh, U.S. is engaging in a proxy war with Russia using Ukraine as their military. So the U.S. and some European countries, predominantly the U.S., though, are providing billions of dollars in funding, weapon systems, and so forth, and essentially waging this war using the Ukrainian military and people as their chess pieces in this geopolitical um, chess game the ultimate objective being regime change with Russia. And you can see years before, um, obviously, Russia's invasion in Ukraine, uh, this this anti-Russia sentiment has been building up by the, the permanent Washington establishment and laying the groundwork, f- and this was the opportunity that they saw. Um, it's put us in the most dangerous position we, the American people, and the world has ever been in, in that we, a nuclear war could break out in a week, in 30 days. We, we are staring over the precipice of that nuclear brink now more than ever before. Uh, we're hearing language coming from Putin, from Medvedev, from different uh, Russian nationalist leaders saying, no, Putin, you should go and use those nuclear weapons, whether they're the tactical nukes or the strategic nukes, doesn't matter. There is no way to win this. That would spark a nuclear war. It would spark World War III. And the result of that is destruction of the world. It is destruction of the world as we know it. And, you know, I I hate to, to paint such a bleak picture, but this is People need to know that this is the reality that we're facing, that our leaders have pushed us and led us to this brink of nuclear war. They have their own bunkers and and ways to protect themselves. There is no shelter for the American people. Uh, I I think it was last time I was here, I talked to you about the, you know, the the, um, nuclear scare that we had in Hawaii and how, you know, this message went out to everybody saying, hey, Uh, missile incoming, you know, seek shelter immediately. This is not a drill. What everybody found out immediately is there is no shelter. There is no shelter. There's no place to go. There's no place where 
uh, you can take your loved ones and your kids to be protected, not only from the blast, but the fallout and the lack of food and water and everything else that that comes after. Um, uh, New York, uh, New York City recently put out a, a PSA. I don't know if you saw it, but it, it is literally a video ad that they put out saying, hey, here's what you do in the event of a nuclear explosion. Why are they putting this out now? Because of where we are as a country. The problem is, as it shows in this video, their advice to the people of New York City is get inside, stay inside and stay tuned. That's it. Stay tuned to what? The radio, I guess. I like, mean, what is even going to be available? That's my point. Yeah. That There'll is exactly no my point. There will be no power. There will be no infrastructure. There will be no, you know, you, you see what's happening in Florida right now with the recovery efforts after uh, this hurricane just swept through and demolished it. You think about that. Multiply that by like, I don't know, 50,000 times. The devastation is what we would see, but we wouldn't have FEMA. We wouldn't have these first responders who are able to actually go out and help people. And the worst thing, man, the worst thing I said when I watched that PSA, get inside, stay inside, stay tuned. At the end, I'm assuming as an actor they hired to do this, she looks in the camera and she's like, you got this, New York. Like, what in the world? These these people are creating this false sense of security for the American people saying like, oh, yeah, take shelter. But there is no shelter. We should watch that because it's so crazy. It is insane. We should. Let's watch that because it's. it's... So there's been a nuclear attack. Don't ask me how or why. Just know that the big one has hit. OK, so what do we do? There are three important steps that I want you to remember. Big Step smile. one. Get inside fast. You, your friends, your family, get inside. And no, staying in the car is not an option. You need to get into a building and move away from the windows. Look at her smiles. I know. Big Step smile. two, stay inside. Shut all doors and windows. Have a basement? Head there. If you don't have one, get as far into the middle of the building as possible. If you were outside after the blast, get clean immediately. Remove and bag all outer clothing to keep radioactive dust or ash away from your body. Step three, stay tuned. Follow media for more information. Don't forget to sign up for Notify NYC for official alerts and updates. And don't go outside until officials say it's safe. All right, you've got this. Oh, God, shit. <laughs> officials like who? Rashida Tlaib? <laughs> She's going to tell you? Right. Like, who's the officials? People that they elected? Who? who? Who's going to tell you it's okay to go outside during a nuclear blast exactly. in the United States, something that's never happened ever and that we're completely woefully unprepared for? Exactly. You got this. You got this. She's so pretty, though. With your big smile. <laughs> She's got a nice smile. She's got a great <laughs> smile. That's probably why they fi hired her. It's that is a crazy thing to put out there. First of all, because like, what what is it? What's the purpose of that? Is that to reassure people? Like, what is the purpose of that? Yeah, is it's not to inform people because no. none of what she said makes any sense. No. Oh, get in the middle of the room. Right. Oh, that's okay. Right. The outside's not good. Just stay away the from middle, the window. The middle's not going to be because the radiation is not. Just stays put. Yeah. The radiation. It's kind of like a fog machine. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't doesn't get inside. Like what? I um. 
I was in, I think it was after my second deployment. Uh, when I came back from the Middle East, I went on a trip and did some travel uh, through Eastern Europe and went and actually visited Chernobyl. And uh, it was astonishing to me even decades after that happened, because I was curious. I'd heard about it and it's like, OK, um, went on this little bus and went out there. They gave us these radiation monitors, uh, these handheld radiation monitors so that wherever we were, you know, you could kind of test and see where the radiation uh, still existed. They're like, oh, you're going to see apple trees and things like that. Don't eat any of the fruit because it's contaminated. It is mm. still contaminated decades later. Walking through the middle of the town, I know everyone's seen the pictures and obviously now with that Chernobyl series, uh, I think that Netflix did, um, more and more people know the story, but you know, walking through like the school and the classrooms where the desks and the books and the kids' shoes and the deflated basketballs, everything is still there um, in the way that it was when people fled and had to evacuate uh, when that nuclear plant melted down. Uh, it, it was so eerie walking through there. Um, you, you could you could almost kind of feel feel the heaviness of of what happened there. And then as as we were leaving after we left uh, and were crossing back into Ukraine, um, we had to go through these like. Before we got on the bus, we had to go through these radiation, um, kind of like the thing you walk through in TSA, except it tests for radiation to make sure you're not actually bringing any contaminants with you back into society. All of that is to say, like, this is what we're talking about. So you see that kind of video and you see how completely out of touch it is with the reality of what could happen uh, in the event in the event of a nuclear attack. And the fact that, you know, Russia's got what, over 6,000 nuclear warheads. The United States has over 5,000 nuclear warheads. Both countries making up 90% of the total number of nuclear warheads that exist in the world. And literally it would just take the flick of a match to spark this war off. And, and that's where say, okay, well, you hear President Biden say, well, this is Putin's war. This is Putin's fault. It's it's Putin who's 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 uh, the the one who's solely responsible. Well, the United States and some of these European NATO countries are fueling this war and need to provide the leadership to bring about a negotiated outcome. That is exactly what needs to happen here to prevent the destruction of the planet and and life uh, as we know it. Uh, they're not doing that. And in doing so, they are failing the American people and putting us in this position of not knowing so where we're going to be do you uh, think, in the event that this kicks off. Do you think that whoever the powers that be and whatever the influence is from the military industrial complex, that they are trying to prolong this in order to profit? So they're trying to continue to fund Ukraine this gives them an excellent reason to ramp up budgets and keep shipping over weapons and arms. They keep making more and more profit and just get us right to the point where it gets squirrely. Well, Putin won't do it. He won't do it. He won't do it. But if he does it, there's no pulling back from that. There's and the no only back. reason why we would ever get to that point is because people are trying to make more money. That is, that is certainly a major driver. I have no doubt about that. 
I am concerned that we may we may have passed that point uh, already. Um, you're talking about people pushing us right up, right up to the line, yeah. and then just saying, "Well, you know, the whole theory of of nuclear weapons is one of mutually assured destruction, right? Like, Putin, there's no way Putin will ever launch this because of that fear of, like, okay, well, we will all be destroyed if that happens. And they're saying, you know, Putin is many things, but he's not crazy. There's no way he's going to do this. Well, they're talking about doing it. They changed their nuclear weapons policy so that according to their laws, they would be authorized to use a nuclear weapon if they are facing any kind of existential threat, whether it's coming from a nuclear source or not. And and you look at um, the situation that, that Putin is in right now. He's boxed into a corner. He's lost face. He... Uh, he is he is in a place where he may feel like he has nothing else to lose and and you 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 find that same kind of mentality in people who are you know suicidal or people who are bullied or people who feel like their their best option is is a way out and so to say to be so dismissive and say well you know Putin's not crazy he's not going to he's not going to do this um it it denies the reality of the position uh, that he's in. Also, doesn't he have cancer? I don't know. I, I, I've read different Oliver things Stone, about how he's sick. but Oliver Stone said that when he was over there, when he was filming Putin years ago, yeah. he had cancer. And that he was being treated for cancer back then. Mm. And he believes he, he still has cancer. And there's all these rumors that he has cancer. Yeah. I mean, if he's terminal and he's slowly dying... Yeah, that's a terrifying. It is terrifying possibility. It is the other the other argument, the other uh, the, the opposing argument uh, is, hey, if we don't stop Russia now, then they will take over all of Europe and, you know, come at us uh, and then we'll have to deal with them later. The problem with this is you look at you look at all the intelligence reports and things that were coming out when Russia first was preparing to invade Ukraine and then invaded Ukraine. This is what they were saying, right, is they're going to do shock and awe in Ukraine, take all of Ukraine and then move on to, you know, other NATO allies and then to the West as a whole. That has all been completely disproven. And the intelligence community failed us as a country with those reports because we've seen how Russia's military has been depleted and destroyed in many cases. And as far as, you know, taking over, they're having a hard time holding on to a little sliver of a non-NATO country that is directly their neighbor right now. What to speak of being able to go and take over Ukraine and, and move into other countries. So, you know, th these arguments that they keep making to justify sending billions and billions more of our taxpayer dollars uh, to fund this proxy war, there is no justification because it is undermining our economic security and it's undermining our national security and putting us and the world in a place where nuclear war in World War III could be imminent, imminent, not like, oh, a far future possibility. Total destruction of the planet is imminent if, if, this, if this occurs. Our leaders are completely failing us because they've got the power 
and the ability to be able to de-escalate and pull us back from the brink, but but they're failing to do so. And do you think that they're failing to do so because that would cut off the gravy train? That's certainly part of it. That's certainly part of it. This this is something, and, and I'm, I'm bringing this up because no one else is talking about it. During, you know, I, I ran for president in 2020, warning of this outcome, seeing, hey, this is what's around the corner if you continue to wage these new cold wars. Uh, I talked about it virtually every single day, brought it up in virtually every single interview, and the media refused to talk about it. It was never brought up in any of the debates. And uh, I was even told by a reporter, like, come on, why do you keep talking about nuclear war? Here we are. We are unfortunately in this place. And and my concern is, you know, look, the next presidential election is over, what, two years away, over two years away. We don't know what's going to happen next week or next month with this war. The The only way to stop this now is for the American people, people in Europe, people around the world, taking that direct action to make sure that our voice is heard and putting our holding our leaders uh, feet to the fire to literally bring about an end to this insanity and save save our future. Did you ever see the video of uh, I forget who it was from the State Department who was on the Colbert report? We played it the other day uh, during the um, uh, Dave Smith podcast and there was a guy who wrote a book and this was in 2014 and he was on the Colbert Report back when it was on Comedy Central mm-hmm. and he was essentially bragging about how they are trying to lure the Ukraine. We'll play it for you just yeah. so you can watch it. Um, I did not see this. Gideon Rose. It's crazy. It's cra- First of all, before we play it, here's one of the things that's crazy about it is that they're essentially bragging openly about foreign policy shenanigans that are just designed to try to undermine Russia. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it on Comedy Central in a joking way while this guy's selling a book. And this guy, we'll play it so yep. you, you see. What does he do again, Jamie? What is his uh, uh, position? Foreign Affairs is a... Sh- Foreign Affairs magazine yeah, is the yeah, magazine for the Council on Foreign Relations. Okay, so let's uh, listen to him. Fix this mess. Here to tell me how to reanimate Reagan is the editor of Foreign Affairs magazine, Gideon Rose. Mr. Rose, thank you so much for being here. There's the magazine, Foreign Affairs. Now, 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 now Gideon, uh, help me out here. We've got a, we've got a battle. The Ukraine. Some of them want to go into the EU, the European Union. Right. Uh, and some of them want to stay with Russia. If the Ukraine's not in Europe right now, what continent is it on? Well, it's part of Eurasia, but it's part of Eastern Europe and the former Soviet bloc. Uh-huh. It's basically Robin to Russia's Batman. And the challenge here, the challenge here is to try to attract it to the West, to get it to flip sides. So the, the rebels in the streets, what are they fighting for? They're fighting for a better future. Countries have a development... That sounds like a political speech. Like, no, but it's they, actually true. Really... Countries have to develop over time. And Ukraine, basically, after it, the uh, end of the Soviet Union, faced two tracks. It could stay a sort of stagnant, corrupt, authoritarian country tied to Russia, or it could essentially join the West. It could modernize, liberalize, become a democracy. Uh, at the last minute, when it looked like it was going to trade up from its sort of uh, uh, abusive relationship with its boyfriend from the hood to a, a nice yuppie... Uh, uh, You're not loading these choices no, in any way whatsoever. Actually, 
It's actually true. When it looked like it was going to trade up to a better uh, environment, uh, at the last minute, Putin offered a bribe. How uh, much? Uh, Fifteen billion. It's uh, a lot of cash. It's man. a lot of cash. And the president, who himself was tied to the old elites and the eastern part of the country with ties to Russia, decided to back off the change and go join Russia. Do you know how Russia. many pirate-themed restaurants you can buy with $15 billion? The problem was the western parts of the country and the younger parts of the country and the more modern liberal parts of the country basically knew that they had no future being Russia's, Russia's vassal. Do and we, so they took to the streets. Is America taking sides in this in any way? If, if these people, if the, the rebels are winning, right now, right? Yes, just so recently. Why isn't Obama spiking the ball in the end zone and calling Putin and saying, hey, you might have won the medal count, but we won the country count, biatch? <laughs> it's actually a very good question, and the answer is that we don't want Russia to intervene and kick over the table like a game of risk and take Ukraine back. And so Would they we, do that? Could he send in troops? Yes, he could. So we are choosing... Now, does Ukraine have any troops of their own? Would they fight back? Yes, but we don't want this to escalate, and we don't want Russia to crack down. So we want to basically distract Russia. Oh, look, you have the highest medal count. Oh, you did really well. Uh, and, you know, possible? focus on the Olympics. Here's a shiny object. Focus we'll just take an entire country away from you. Basically. Okay. Now, wild. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. It's it's just wild that that's like a humorous thing that everybody thought was outside the realm of possibility. And now here we are. Right. Right. Eight years later, it's actually happening. It is happening. And you see um, the drivers of this. You know, when we talk about the military industrial complex, it's not just the United States because the longer this goes on, uh, the more NATO is strengthened uh, I think two other countries, was it Finland and Sweden, have just joined NATO as a result of this. Uh, these big arms deals are also happening with NATO. Uh, the, the major producers of these weapon systems are coming from the military industrial complex here. So there are a lot of interests that are pushing to build and strengthen this whole uh, NATO complex. And uh, this war is giving them a great opportunity to do it. Uh, there should have been a very direct uh, and, um, you know, full-hearted attempt to de-escalate and try to negotiate an outcome to this conflict uh, before it started or very quickly after. But instead, what we saw was an influx of money and weapon systems which helped further escalate this war and no attempt, no, no meaningful attempt at all towards an actual diplomatic out, uh, end to the conflict. There doesn't seem to be any clear path to removing money from influence, especially this kind of money. When you're talking about $1.7 trillion for 2022, that's so much money. It comes down to who we are choosing to elect, really. Like, yeah, okay, we could, you know, yeah, Congress should pass legislation to prohibit lobbyists and PACs from giving money to members of Congress and candidates. That's what should happen. But it's not what's going to happen so long as these same crooks are in charge. So wh where does that leave us as voters? It leaves us with making a choice. There are candidates from both parties right now who are running saying, hey, I'm running to serve you in Congress, and I refuse to accept a single penny from a lobbyist or a corporate pack. There are choices out there. We need more of those choices of people who are not just saying, yeah, America first, I'll put country first, but then are going in the back door and making these shady deals. People are actually backing up saying, yes, I'm here to serve you and only you, the American people, 
and backing it up with their actions. So moving forward, like, you know, even Trump, one of the things like, I don't know, I think I believe it was with Steve Hilton. He was having this uh, interview and he started talking about the military industrial complex, about yeah. how these people want to go to war. Mm -hmm. And it you've never heard a sitting president say something like that. No. And it was one of the things that I think is kind of interesting about Trump is that he is such a loose cannon yeah. that he'll say things like that, which is no one's going to say that. Yeah. But how do you stop that influence once a person gets into office? Because it seems like obviously you, you never got into that spot, but it seems like once you get into that spot, there's so many moving pieces and there's so much influence. And there's so much money and there's a lot of you scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. We're working together on this so that we can work together on that. And we can open up the pathway for this. If you open up that, like, how does that ever get resolved? By electing a real leader who has a backbone and whose motive is to serve the country and not these interests. You see it with the military industrial complex. You see it with big pharma. You see it uh, with big insurance. You see it with a lot of these different Wall Street. Um, by electing a leader who has the backbone and courage to stand up for the American people that's how we start to make this change, because then that person who's elected as president, commander in chief, then makes the decision of who's going to be the, the director of the National Security Council, who's going to be the secretary of defense, who's going to be the secretary of state, who's going to lead all of these federal institutions, uh, including uh, the national security state, law enforcement, FBI, Department of Homeland Security, making those decisions and then going down. So it's not only those who you're appointing to those positions, but recognizing that those bureaucrats who've been there for a really long time and who are very cozy with all of these special interests, actually bringing about that institutional change that we need in order to, to clean out the system. I'm not saying that this is an easy task at all. It is a tough task, which requires a tough, strong leader to be able to do it. That's, that's why I ran for president, because I, I've lived through experiencing the cost and consequences of presidents and members of Congress who don't give a shit about uh, the cost of war, not only on our military and our veterans, but on the American people and on the people in the countries where, you know, we've gone and waged these regime change wars in the name of spreading democracy and humanitarianism. Meanwhile, we're destroying those countries and harming those people. A leader who can actually fulfill that responsibility of commander in chief is, is what we need. What insight, if any, do you have on what it must be like to take office? Like the day of office. I don't know if you, do you know who Bill Hicks is? Uh, yeah. Stand-up comic. Yeah. One of the one of the greats, and he died uh, in like ninety. I want to say like ninety three or ninety four. He had this bit about what it's like the day you take office that he thinks you're in a smoky room and they show you an angle of the Kennedy assassination that you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the, the they stop the projector and you just go, any questions? Yeah, what's my agenda? <laughs> like, what do I need to do? Like, tell me what to do. Because this is what people think, is yeah. that once you get in office, then... Because like, so many people had promises... And campaign slogans and you go okay was obama just lying 
Was did he did he never have intentions to do those things, or once you get into office, do they appraise you of all the threats to the world? Do they tell you, you know, what kind of influence the military-industrial complex really has, and how impossible it is to get the barbs out of the the skin of the American people? Uh, obviously, I have not right. sat in that chair, uh, but what I will say is, if if we elect a president who cares more about the title and the reelection and the power than they act than they do about actually doing the job to serve the American people and our country, then yeah, you can and you, you we will end up with a president who is easily bullied and kowtowing to these special interests, whatever they may be told, oh, hey, look, if you make this decision that we don't like, whether it be the military industrial complex or big pharma, we're going to pull our support from you or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. If that that's not a leader, that's a follower. Um, what do you think happens to you if you go against the grain? Like imagine I've experienced it to a degree, right, to a degree. <laughs> but imagine a person like, like, are you going to run as president as an independent? The the system as it sits today, that's not a viable option. Are you going? It's to not run a viable option, option because because uh, I think it was back when Ross Perot ran uh, for president. Yeah. As uh, I think he was an independent, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. Yeah. And he was beating Bill Clinton in the polls. Um, you know, both parties saw that as a direct threat to themselves and got together and rigged the system to to um, practically speaking, shut out uh, a third option. For well, voters. they shut him out. The Commission for Presidential Debates, which is a privately funded institution, yeah. which most people don't know, yeah, which is kind of crazy that that is they changed the standards for the debates for the debates. Yeah, they did. And then also they uh, they changed the Electoral College to make it so that if you have a viable third option, basically none of none of the parties will get the number, the minimum number of electoral votes through this winner-take-all system uh, needed to actually win. And then it goes to Congress, and then Congress will make that selection. And uh, so, so the electoral college system itself also needs to be reformed to one that is uh, proportional. So if you know if I were to run for president and win sixty percent of Texas, I would get sixty percent of Texas's um, electoral votes mm. rather than if you win a state, you get all of them. All of them. Right. That makes sense. Um, when you say they changed the presidential uh, elections and they changed the electoral college, like who's they? The the leadership of both parties. So they be the RNC that and the DNC. We're, if we are threatened by a legitimate third party, this is how we can stop that in its yeah. tracks. Yeah. And so now a third party is essentially almost impossible. As of today, yes. It would be wow. great to 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 live in a world where that were not the case. But um, when you look at the practical application of our of our electoral system right now, it's not a viable path. Are you going to run for any kind of office as an independent? I'm not running for anything now. Um, I am deeply, deeply concerned about this uh, very real and Im imminent threat of nuclear war that no one is talking about, that no one is preparing the American people for, that people are um, 
kind of sitting ducks because of the decisions that our leaders have made. Um, if I felt that there was a way that I could um, stop that and make a difference and impact that and pull us back from the brink, um, then yeah, I'd, I'd seriously consider uh, running again. Uh, my concern though is like, we don't know what's going to happen and you know, we, we don't know if it's going to be too late. I, I, there's no way to argue with that. That's that. Uh, like, as you're saying this, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wish I had a counterpoint. Is it possible that this is it? Yeah. But I don't. This does not look good. And I don't know how many people are even really truly aware of how close we are. Most people aren't. Most people aren't. And part of it is because, um, again, the media hardly covers it. And if they do. They're talking about it as though it's like, um, you know, uh, one missile system against the other. They're, they're talking about the waging of a nuclear war as though it can be won or as though there's some kind of limitation to the destruction and devastation that it will cause. Um, you know, going back to Reagan, he talked about how a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. Uh, you go back to, you know, JFK recognized the serious danger and risk of a nuclear war. We go back to these leaders in the past from both parties who saw how dangerous a nuclear war would be and therefore took action to try to reduce the numbers of nuclear weapons in the world and try to put these nonproliferation treaties in place. Almost all of those treaties have been stripped away at this point. There is one left between the United States and Russia, the two largest nuclear powers in the world, and that is being eroded as we speak the longer this this war continues. So, no, I think the American people don't largely know, and, and that's why it's so important to, to talk about it, because as we sit here today, like, that's, that's the only—that's the only thing that will make a difference at this, at this point— is people here in the United States, people in Europe, people around the world stepping up, speaking out, making sure that our voices are heard, taking action to say, no, absolutely not. We need, our leaders need to look out for our lives, our futures, our country, this planet, and negotiate an end to this war and prevent destruction of this planet. There's Holocaust. also these very simplistic narratives that are going out now. Like, you have to support Ukraine, put a Ukraine flag in your Twitter bio, and I see so many people doing that. And then Russia invaded Ukraine, so supporting Ukraine is important, so we should send money to Ukraine. And that's it. Yep. And I, and don't ask questions. Right. Don't ask how that money's being spent. Right. Don't question the corruption that everybody knows exists in Ukraine. Uh, don't question where those those weapons are going. Don't question, um, you know, what the actual real life ramifications are to our national security as a country, uh, to our future, given nuclear war is on the line. What to speak of the direct economic implications we are already feeling with, you know, uh, gas prices hiking in many places in the country, uh, increased inflation, uh, you know, supply uh, shortages, food shortages, the the um, the UN, the UN's um, 
food guy, I can't remember his official title, but he's he's already sounded a warning saying that this war is causing an unprecedented threat of global starvation, global starvation. So the ramifications of this, people are just like, ah, okay, go to war and here's more guns and here's more weapons. And instead of actually being leaders and advocating for peace and a a, a negotiated resolution where, yes, Ukraine's going to have to give up something. Russia's going to have to give up something. That's literally uh, what happens when you negotiate an end to a war. You can look throughout history. Nobody walks away completely happy. But that's what needs to happen for the sake of humanity at this point, and our leaders are are failing to do so, and so it, it, we're at a point where the future is in our hands. And what are we what are we willing to do? I'm going to ask you a difficult question. What do you think is going to happen if we continue down this path that we have seen, uh, where we have seen this war continue to escalate since the invasion happened? we will end up in World War III and a nuclear holocaust. If nothing else changes and we continue down this path, this is where that path leads. And it's not some far-flung possibility. They're talking about this now. It's very difficult for people to live in a world without nuclear war. To live in a world where you get up, your alarm clock goes off, you go to work, you drive the same way every day, to imagine the eradication of all civility, of all all the things, all of our structure in terms of all of our, just everything from all of our civil liberties to all of our roads and utilities being gone, everything eradicated almost instantaneously. Yes. And living in a lawless, structureless society where people are scrambling for food and dying of radiation poisoning, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Because those are the lucky ones. Who survive. Who survive. Exactly. And how long that radiation contamination Hundreds lasts of thousands of years it's it's an impossible scenario for people to put it in it, it, the radiation will last as long as homo sapiens have existed yeah which is wild yeah and so we we we're in a position where you know i'm sure the billionaires of the world have their you know deep bunkers with food sources and water sources do they even i gotta believe that they do i I know i know that i know that um i mean look i i know there are contingencies in place for our politicians at the highest levels should this situation occur so that they can continue to manage and wage the war from another location what do you make of the uh pipeline blowing up because now people are saying that the pipeline, whoever did it, they did it intentionally. Yeah. And what do you think that's all about? War, war is unpredictable. And so uh, that this occurred should not have been a surprise. I don't know who did it. I haven't seen any evidence to point in one direction or another. Uh, you know, Russia has got the financial... Um, investment in that pipeline. So 
I don't know, somebody's done the numbers. I don't remember what they are, but how much money they lost in that uh, with that explosion uh, and, and that pipeline being sabotaged. Um, so I don't know who is responsible, but we should not be surprised that as this war escalates, that this sort of thing happens. And it should cause everyone to wonder, okay, so this week it was a pipeline, a, a major energy pipeline being sabotaged, uh, cutting off the ability for, you know, m- major countries in Europe as they head into winter from having that option. Internet cables, deep, uh, deep undersea internet cables, uh, GPS satellites, other necessary pieces of infrastructure, not only to the United States, but to the world. What's next in this escalation of war? And again, this is not just about something happening in Europe, because, again, we've already seen in this past week, uh, at least on the West Coast and in other parts of the country, how gas prices have gone up 50 cents, 70 cents. They're continuing to rise. All of these things are are directly connected. And uh, you mentioned the loss of civil liberties. Let's say we get to a point where World War Three is sparked because of this, uh, but a nuclear weapon has not been used. It's absolutely a realistic uh, outcome to imagine some kind of martial law being implemented uh, here in the United States because now we are a country at war and there are certain regulations and civil liberties that are being violated, just like we've seen uh, with the Patriot Act uh, in the past. Uh, We've seen recent examples of the country being shut down by the government in the interest uh, in the public interest. And so this, these, these outcomes are not uh, just theoretical. Um, this is where we are headed if we don't change course. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about all that. And I'm, I'm concerned about the lack of understanding that people have about the implementation of, implementation of things like a digital currency that is centralized, that's controlled by the government. Right. That scares the shit out of me. Absolutely. Because that's what we're... And Maxine Waters who has been promoting this said that we need this to compete with China, which is so crazy. Yeah. It's like saying we need communism to compete with communism. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what it yeah. is. Yeah. If you want to compete with communists, you have to be a communist. Like what? Yeah. Like digital currency that's centralized by the state is terrifying because they'll connect it to a social credit score system. Yeah. If they connect it to a social credit score system, Tulsi Gabbard, I don't like what you said on the Joe Rogan experience. Mm-hmm. We're going to go and eliminate your ability to fly. Right. You can't fly. You can't travel. You right. can't buy gas anymore. Yep. You can, which is what they do all, in China. Uh, it's, it's all within the realm of possibility. And you look at that and, you, and uh, what is the recent thing of... I think Elizabeth Warren was pushing for credit card companies to start tracking people who buy ammunition yes. and firearms and well, report Visa that to the government. Visa is going to change the way they categorize gun sales. So they'll put gun sales in a different realm of like just in the, of regular sales, which is to let people know like, hey, we're watching Yeah, you. exactly. Yeah. And not just because like, oh, well, I'm just curious. No. No. There's a regulatory follow-up action. Uh, to that violation of privacy. Do you have any good news? <laughs> Is there anything happy you can talk about, Tulsi? Um, when you and I talk outside of this, it's always very happy. You're a happy person. <laughs> I am a happy person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of aloha, Joe. That's why I'm warning people about the impending doom yeah. of of us of 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 where our leaders are taking us. And and really, it is that. Um, 
it's that care for each other and for our planet and our future that should require that that should encourage us to be involved and to be engaged and as disheartening as as our election systems and politics can be we've got to know that that we have to be the change no one else is going to come and save us uh, our founders envisioned this country as a country of by and for the people um many in our government have forgotten that unfortunately they're not going to wake up one day and magically remember um it's up to us to to bring about that change and and the system that our founders set up for us it has its flaws we've got a lot of work to do on it you know with the money um you know, lobbyists and PAC money infecting our, corrupting our politics, uh, you know, election integrity, making sure that, you know, people are actually trusting the system and that their votes will be counted as they were cast. So there's, there's work to do, but these changes can only come about when we are all informed uh, and engaged in the process. Um, so one piece of news Last time I came on your show, I talked about launching a podcast. Yes. I'm finally doing it, <laughs> <laughs> specifically to be able to um, to really, you know, I, I'll go and do different interviews. They're like four to five minutes long. I have like, okay, cool, I can say four sentences in that period of time, but right. to actually uh, take a deep dive into examining, like, hey, here here are the challenges that we're facing. Here's how we identify what the problem is and the cause, and here are some of the things that that we need to be able to do. Um, to, to solve these problems. Yeah, that's the reality of conversations. And, you know, I think it took until podcasts existed where people realized the value of talking about one particular subject for over an hour. Yeah. Like we when we were talking about gender identity and the craziness of woke culture, like that's uninterrupted. It, it keeps going on and on. You could never do that yeah. on a, a network television show. You'd no. get interrupted by a commercial. We'll be right back. And the audience claps. And like, this is madness. Like, right. You can't have a nuanced, important conversation about a subject that is very complex. Exactly. Quickly. Exactly. You can't do it quickly. And really, when you think about it, all of these different things, you might see a headline here, a soundbite there. There's always so much more yeah. to it. Uh, and, and looking at, you know, different people's views and actually encouraging those conversations and and helping people just to understand um, each other, right, as people. Yeah. Well, the good news is people recognize that. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why podcasts are so huge. Yeah. Like the numbers that we get, like, off of this conversation will be so much bigger than any other conversation that you can have anywhere else, which is weird, Right. But that's why yeah. it's because people recognize like, hey, this is not it's not satisfying to watch these five minute chunks on CNN where people talking over each other with three different screens, yeah. you know, three different boxes on the mm -hmm. screen and everybody's yelling over each other. All right. Well, thank you for your input. Bye. Click. We solved nothing. Yeah, exactly. You don't learn anything. No, no. insight gained. See ya. Bye bye. Yeah. And here's Pfizer brought to you by <laughs> exactly. Pfizer. It's like this is wild. Like this is a yep. dystopian Mike Judge movie. Yeah. And it's it's not an accident that you never hear people on those channels saying, hey, you should be careful about what Pfizer is telling you right. because of the drugs or the vaccines or whatever it is they're trying to sell you and then cut to the Pfizer commercial. Right. It's not an accident that, it's not an accident. you know. 75% uh, of all television advertisement is pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. 
which is yeah, insane. It is and absolutely we insane. are one of two countries on earth that allows that. The other one is New Zealand, and New Zealand is much more strict than us. Yeah. It's and and I mean this this is a huge other topic. I know you've talked about it a lot before too is like people talk about healthcare reform yeah. in America, but most people who talk about it aren't identifying uh, the root cause of the problem, which is our entire system incentivizes sickness and obesity yeah. and people being unhealthy. Our system is built around that. It does not incentivize health and wellness and nutrition and prevention uh, and fitness. And, uh, and again, I mean, this, this, you know, who's, who's making the money here? Yeah, prevention's the big word. And, you know, it's just the, the problem is these corporations are always trying to make more money every year. And if they go around telling you, hey, you know, we'd make less money, but you'd be happier yeah. if you stop eating sugar and garbage and start exercising every right. day. Right. Yeah. There's no incentive. It blew my mind during the COVID pandemic era that uh, Jen Psaki at the White House refused. She refused to say that, uh, hey, uh, nutrition, uh, nutrition and, and uh, being healthy could actually help you uh, if you get COVID, that the symptoms might not be so bad. Did she refuse like she was encouraged? Somebody to was say asked. It? Somebody was somebody asked her a direct question. Um, you know, uh, and I, th I think this was censored around, I think the CDC was saying that people who are obese uh, are more likely to have severe consequ uh, health consequences if they if they catch COVID. Uh, and so the, the reporter asked, the, and I don't know, I don't remember which outlet it came from, but the reporter said, so are you the White House therefore then advocating for uh, nutrition and health um, in order to try to prevent that? And she just said, um, we take all of our guidance from the CDC and the CDC says get vaccinated. She couldn't even just say, well, yeah, of course, try to be healthy. Yeah. Well, she's a propagandist. I mean, that's that job. You're, yeah. you're the propaganda arm. Yeah. And but it's stuff like that, right? It's stuff yeah. like that that people see that and be like, what's wrong with you? Like, right. are you a robot? Right. Why can't you say the thing that's obvious to everyone? Uh, <laughs> well, if they really care, they would tell people supplement with vitamin D. Yeah. That would been one of the first thing to say. It's yeah. cheap. It's not hard to do. Yeah. We have plenty of it. Let's go. And and yeah. we know statistically that people are radically deficient in this country. Yeah. And lose weight. It's yeah. not hard to lose weight. In fact, it's cheap. Yeah. You eat less food. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Costs less and eat, money. Eat healthier food. Eat real food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the percentage of people in this country that eat fast food primarily on a da daily basis is crazy. And that we've done nothing to, especially for lower income people, to make real healthy food available to yeah. them easily and readily. And this, this goes back to that information. Uh, where these norms have been created. And I've had conversations with different people uh, recently. Um, somebody who was telling me about his experience, like they were overseas and deployed and it was somebody's birthday and like one of the guys knew how to cook and he made this amazing orange cake. Like he actually went to the market and got oranges and made this cake from scratch, like not even from a box and it was better than a cake from Walmart. And in my mind, I'm like, holy crap. Like, why is it abnormal to make a cake from scratch where you put right. the flour <laughs> and you put the sugar and you put the oil or that's whatever it is? Like, that's how you, it doesn't right. come from a box. <laughs> that's why we're, we're so crazy that things with preservatives that come yeah. from the store are normal. Yeah. And things that you just make out of actual food yeah. are not, even when it comes to like something like cake, which is not even good for you anyway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing as uh, this other woman I was talking to, and she's like, um, 
gluten intolerant, newly gluten intolerant or like diagnosed with celiac. She's like, I'm really having a hard time. And, you know, there are certain foods I can't eat and I'm trying to cook for my family and this and that. I was like, oh, I got a great gravy recipe because she'd be like, I can't eat gravy. I was like, no, you can make gravy, but use garbanzo flour instead of regular flour. Mm. And you use this and you add this and you add that. And she's like, you make gravy from scratch? Oh, my God. It's like, oh, my heart hurts. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 very it's a sad, um, it's kind of a sad picture of, of where we are. Well, that shit's all going to change if, if everything goes south. You're going to have to learn how to figure out how to get food. Yeah. And it's not good. No. It's, uh, I mean, there's so many apocalyptic movies and television shows out now, too. Yeah. It's like they're just like, I mean, it's in the back of our head that this could all go away at any moment. You know, yeah. the the dystopian landscape, the the destroyed buildings in the background, the b- mm-hmm. gray skies. and Yeah. <sighs> I think the fact that politicians in the media are not talking about it should be a major red flag and a warning to everybody. There's a reason why they refuse to talk about it. And so it's up to us to learn about it and to use our voices to get them to do the right thing. I think they're terrified that if they do talk about it, that it makes all these decisions and opinions very unpopular, and that people are going to be scared about it. Yes. So instead, they'll just have them talk about, you know, real simple, the border's leaking. Oh, look at the border. Like There's like all these different things that they could talk about. If that. Right. If that. (laughs) If that. Right. Well, it's always the Republicans that are talking about that. Yeah. But that's because they're not in power. Yeah. And if they were in power, it would be the Democrats that were talking about it, and they'd find some reason why they're wrong. Right. Exactly. Which is because it's just a political game of football versus people that are actually trying to change things for the better to make the country a healthier, happier place to be. Yeah. That's the key. Tulsi, you're awesome. I always appreciate talking to you. It's great to see you. Even though you depressed the shit out of me today (laughs) (laughs) and scared me to no end, you're you're awesome and I I appreciate you very much. Thank you. I appreciate you, Joe. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye, everybody. Bye.